Welcome to the CPA Advisory Show. I'm Jeremy Wells, and with me as always is my co-host, Chris Hervishon. How you doing, Chris? Doing great, Jeremy. How about yourself? Happy New Year. I am doing well. You as well. This is our first recording in 2023, uh, and excited to get going with another year. And I can't think of a better way to uh, kick off the new year than talking about the hot new technological tool that almost everybody, it seems like, is going crazy about. And that is these AI chat tools, basically. I think the most common one that we've seen and one that you and I have played around with is called ChatGPT or, or OpenChat. Uh, I, I, I've been calling it ChatGPT. What have you been calling it? ChatGPT. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's ChatGPT by OpenAI. So ChatGPT gotcha. is kind of like the chat bot of GPT-3, and GPT-3 is kind of a, a collection of APIs that's related to but separate from chat GPT, I think is probably an appropriate way to, to explain it. Well that that gets right into my question. Like what what is what is chat GPT? What is open AI? What are these chat bots? Like what what all is going on here? Yeah, I, it sounds like you know a little bit more about it than than I do. So let's let's break it down at a at a fundamental level. When when I go to this, you know, open chat website and I start typing stuff in, what what's actually happening? What am I looking at? Oh boy. So I'm the expert on this, huh? Um, okay. <laughs> For this episode, at least. <laughs> That's terrifying. Um, well, so, hey, if, if any of our listeners know anybody involved in this project, uh, you know, have, have them get in touch with us and we'd be happy to bring them on the show and, and dig into this more with, with someone who actually knows. But yeah, for now, yeah. for now, you're the best we've got. Yeah. yeah. That's a great plug, by the way. Host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Send somebody who actually knows what they're talking about to us and we can, we can interview them as opposed to having me pontificate about things that I half know. Uh, okay, so OpenAI, here's my understanding. I may be wrong. I'm going to preface all of this with I may be wrong. I just may be wrong. It's fine. Um, but OpenAI, I believe, is a nonprofit research body who is focused on uh, machine learning, natural language processing, uh, and AI, basically the, the different facets of AI and developing advanced at least relative to what's been available in the marketplace until now, apparently, but advanced AI. Very cool. So to make clear, though, we're, we're accountants. We're, we have a show for accountants, and so mm -hmm. we're mostly talking about accounting stuff. Is this an accounting tool? That's a good question. I, I think you... I think no, right? I, I don't think it was intended. It, this is this is not QuickBooks. This is not tax tax software. This is not GL software. This isn't even you know any. I I I have not put this in the list of my tech stack, my accounting firm tech stack yet. Although it's it's close. It's it's in that it's in that sort of subset of of like marketing and content creation tools. But but I wouldn't call it an accounting tool yet. But what we're going to get into in this episode is that it definitely has some potential accounting uses and implications here, right? Yeah, that's a, it's a, man, that's really deep for like three seconds into the show. Um, <laughs> it's not an accounting tool in the sense that it's a general ledger or it acts as a general ledger, at least unless it's taught, which Jason Stats showed on, um, on Twitter. And he went through a whole thread. Definitely go look that up if you're interested. Um, so it's not that it's also not tax software. It's not tax research software, even though I had a relatively, um, intelligent conversation with it, asking it some 
conversations. I think I was asking about like Nexus and Missouri or Iowa or something like that. I had a relatively intelligent conversation. It was actually kind of helpful. Um, and, so and I've not- seen, uh, you mentioned Jason's stats. I've seen some others yeah. talk about if we could, because basically the idea here is uh, there is it, not the entire internet, but some decent size, although I think it's still a very small slice of like the, the normal internet we interact with. But like the, the, there is a section, uh, a subsection of the internet that has been preloaded into this thing, right? As far as like what it knows. And then you're basically accessing it its search like its query of that database so if if that subsection of the internet just so happens to include say the internal revenue code right or you know the the database of treasury regulations right maybe you're tapping into some of that right yeah so my understanding is that it was fed the like the public facing section of the internet. So like, we're not talking about the dark web, which apparently I don't know for a fact, but is much larger than the public facing um, section of the, of the internet. And I think it was like 2020 or 2021 where it basically took a snapshot and and it did all of its learnings from that period of time. So that's one of the things to consider is that some of the conversations that you have and some of the knowledge that the tool meeting chat GPT, chat GPT, and then the GPT three APIs, the knowledge that those inherently have may or may not be a little bit dated. Don't know, but possible. But then I've also seen where you can add to it, and, and this is getting into what you did with it. You can add to it your your own information, right? That it's not just strictly what's out there on the internet. If you have some some it, basically anything that can be reduced down to code that you know, you can type into a chat bar, right? That uh, you can feed that into this thing. So if I have, if I have, uh, you know, a, a, an article from the Journal of Accountancy, right? I could just copy and paste that text into it. And then it would include that along with the rest of its database, maybe, right? At least for yeah. the, the the application I'm trying to use it for. Or in your case, if you took a financial report and, and fed it into it, then it would be able to do some work on that information as well. Right. So the, the thing to remember here is that it's a natural language processing tool and the keywords there are natural language. So the way that theoretically you and I would talk and you and I would understand each other and you and I would understand language. So like in the, like candidly in the back of my head, I've always kind of had this idea for like years that if you just fed some sort of a machine learning or AI tool, um, like the internal revenue code and, um, all the rev procs and all of the state codes and blah, 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 and trained it somehow and started asking it questions and things like that, or like fed it like a W2 and just said, Hey, go and go and figure out, you know, the 1040, like that sort of thing. Like that would be cool because all of those things have instructions and they're all in the English language and natural language. And so theoretically some sort of a tool like a uh, GPT three could go and read these and ingest these things, be able to figure it out. Right. And learn over time. Well, and what, so 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 this so this is getting into applications, which I, I, yeah, I want to yeah. save for later, right? But like you know, an interesting point there, right? Would, would be would this thing be able to find all of the inconsistencies, right? The contradictions in here, you know, maybe maybe yeah. because all this stuff has been written by people and evolved over decades now, you know, I'm sure there are some contradictions in there. I'm sure if you go to section X part B, right, you're going to go <laughs> to section Y part M and these two things are going to have exact opposite meanings 
over the same fact pattern, right? right. Like maybe, yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe nobody's just stumbled upon that yet, but this thing could, right? Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I thought I, I see, I say that to just kind of provide some context around my personal story with, mm-hmm. you know, how I think about AI and applications, right. curiosity which gets and to the, like that. Yeah, which gets me to my next question, right? So, so we're leading into uh, a video that you actually published uh, recently, where you're using this tool for a specific uh, use case. But before we get that specific, I just want to ask, like, what what are you actually as a as an accountant, as a firm owner, as somebody advising, you know, your clients, your small business owning clients, like what, what are you hoping to accomplish with this tool? What problem or, you know, just sort of overarching problem are you hoping that this thing can solve for you? That's a good question. And I think you need to, or at least from my perspective, you need to bifurcate that problem. So one part of that problem is that we are working with small business owners who need help in understanding their numbers and need guidance and all of that stuff. So that's that's part of it. Like we need to provide that some that service in some way, shape, or form. That's part. The other part of that is that there are not a whole bunch of accountants right now who can do that. And the ones that can do that are really hard to find and they are really expensive, which gets into the whole people problem that that we're going through. So how do you deliver that service with the least amount of people, time, and expertise possible and deliver it in a timely, which gets into automation and accurate way, which to some extent also gets into automation as well. So that's, that's kind of the realm. And those are, those are the two, those are the two areas. One is client facing, and then one is the, the need for the firm to be able to actually deliver that service. So because this thing is natural language, meaning words, meaning the way people actually converse with each other, we're talking about automating beyond just the number crunching, right? We're like, we, we've settled that pretty well. We've got APIs built and we've got uh, Zapier and, and make integrations that can move numbers back and forth and do calculations on those numbers. But then we just wind up with more numbers and now we've actually got to explain what that means. But you're saying that this might be something that could take it a step further and now actually apply this natural language approach to interpreting these numbers, which uh, up until recently, it was solely required a a, a human being to actually look at the numbers and start explaining them in words. Yeah, exactly. So like for the millionth time, let's go back to the conversation or a small part of the conversation that we had with Ed Kless, which goes back to a presentation that he gave at Scaling New Heights in 2022, where he came out with some crazy stat um, about Sage, where he said something like 60 or 70 or something like that percentage of the transactions that run through that platform never get touched by a human. And if you think about your simplest business clients, and if you think about the application of bank rules and various other platforms that help to automate transaction classification, like for the most part, like we can basically automate all of that I'll automate the creation of at least on a fairly simple uh, basis financial statements okay that's cool like you and i can read financial statements and we can interpret financial statements great whatever fine but our customers that's a different story for the most part probably they aren't trained in how to read a PL or how to read a cash flow statement can't figure out like okay this says this what do i do next right so 
yeah, we can automate that data creation, which is the numbers and the classification of where things should go and how they should go and why. But the next level is the analysis and then the so what? What do I do with this? What does it actually mean? And that's where the natural language thing can really kind of bridge that gap because it can take those numbers, which as my grandfather said to me many years ago, these are just numbers on a page. <laughs> you, 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 it, it really stuck with me. It's like, he was an engineer. He's like, these are just numbers on a page. It don't mean anything to me. Cool. We can take that and turn that into a natural language and explain it in a way that another human who is not trained in that can understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. That that seems like a, well, it, we're talking about natural language, right? That seems like a natural language way of explaining the potential of this technology, right? It's It's more than just a computer spitting out, taking in a bunch of words and spitting out a bunch of words, right? There's an actual mm-hmm. purpose here that maybe we can push beyond just the number crunching into, now we're word crunching, right? Now we're actually taking words and putting them together in a way that still makes sense to other humans, right? Yeah. Yep. For yep. sure. Okay. So let's jump into what uh, what you actually put together. And, and right now, uh, as we're recording, you did this, uh, you, you published this yesterday. So I think by the time this episode goes out, it would be about a week ago, but, um, we'll definitely link to it in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, uh, in your car ride or commute, and we'll have the link there for you to go back and actually watch this. And, and I highly recommend it. I, I watched this, uh, last night and, uh, we, we actually in, in a, in sort of a serendipitous, uh, bit of, uh, luck here. We had a guest cancel for this recording. And so we get to talk about this instead. And I immediately said to Chris, uh, over text message, we, we've got to talk about this today. Um, so let's walk through what you're actually doing in that video. So the very first thing, uh, when you start watching it is that you're in make, and we talked about make a little bit before, but just briefly remind us what make is and what, and what you're using it for. Okay. So make is an automation tool to largely connect uh, cloud platforms much the same way that Zapier does. Zapier is probably the most commonly used or commonly known automation tool out there. Make is roughly the same thing. I would argue it's got a little bit more capability than Zapier does, but that's neither here nor there. But okay. think, yeah, make, you think make, Zapier, same thing, kind of. Okay. So we're taking different software applications, cloud-based ones primarily, that don't have a direct uh, integration, or at least if they do have a direct integration, it doesn't do some of the things that we'd maybe like them to do together. And so we can use Make as sort of a bridge between these two different software applications to get them to talk to each other and and do things together um, and and have some synergy there, create more than just the sum of the parts. Okay, cool. So you took Make. And the the way I understand it is you just start building steps, right? And, and each step is one of these tools and you want it to either get some data or do something with some data or spit out some information or something. So what's the first step that you put here in Make? Mm, okay, cool. So first thing we should probably talk about is the terminology with Make. So an overall process that is called a scenario. So all of the steps go inside of a scenario. A scenario is a process. Inside of that scenario, we've got modules. So the first module, the first step in this is it's gonna be an API call from QBO. And I believe what I pulled was a three month PNL. And 
if you've ever played around with the QuickBooks API, and I know a lot of people haven't, but if you've ever played around with it, the data that you get back is in JSON format. So J-S-O-N, JSON, and it's a relatively structured way for data to be structured and ingested by machines. But if you were just to look at it and not know what you're looking at, it's it it's very, very complicated. In particular, the QuickBooks JSON structure is it's it's not easily understood even by an accountant who knows exactly what they pulled and who knows exactly what they are looking at. It's very, very difficult. So this is really a really good use case for um, OpenAI. So we're not using ChatGPT in this particular scenario. We're using OpenAI. We're using one of the GPT-3 APIs because those APIs, or at least one of them, can understand code. And JSON is one form of code. So, that's so we're taking step. something that's not natural language, then we're taking something that's computer language, but we're going to process it through this sort of natural language process. Correct. So Make does not natively support running a PNL from QuickBooks. So we have to do a custom API call, which is a option inside of Make. There's an option right in there where you can do a custom API call. And we're running a PNL. We're get so we we're we're inputting some fairly easily understandable language into that API call. So we understand what we're pulling and what we're getting back is a structured, though very difficult to understand data structure. And then the next question is, well, what do we do with that data? That's where OpenAI comes in. Gotcha. And so, so far we've, we've pulled the PNL, we've got it in this computer language JSON, and then we're putting it into OpenAI. <laughs> okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So what is OpenAI doing with that JSON? data then yep so i went through a couple iterations on the video and i fumbled my way through it and i was very open at the beginning of the video that i was going to fumble my way through it and i did not disappoint there so basically what the gpt api is doing is it's ingesting that json and i think what i did was i ran a three-month cash basis pnl don't quote me on that um but it's ingesting that data and then we're asking it a question so what i don't know something like what is revenue and I don't know, October or something like that. And then like the next iteration of that question was, okay, um, what is the gross margin percentage for this particular month? And that is interesting because that is not inherently in the data. So the first time I asked that question, I just asked, you know, what is the gross margin? So if we go back to the beginning of this show, when we talked about, um, GPT-3 being fed all of this information from the internet, like theoretically it has come across the term gross margin and theoretically it knows how to calculate it. The answer that I got back didn't make any sense. Okay, fine, whatever. Fast forward a couple minutes in the show from a couple minutes ago and we talked about how you can actually give GPT-3 some instructions and tell it how to do something. So that was the next iteration of exactly what I did. And I said, hey, if um, we are to calculate the gross margin percentage in this way, then tell me, given this data set that's structured but difficult in JSON format that's coming out of QBO, tell me what the gross margin percentage is for this particular month. And it was able to do that. So now what? Well, now there are some applications that we can think about. Like we can give um, GPT-3 a data set and we can give it some instructions and we can teach it how to do something and we can say, here is this unstructured or difficult thing. 
give me something back or give me an analysis back or give me a variance analysis back or, or give me some sort of a calculation that's not already inherent in the data set that I gave you, something like that. Yeah. And so thinking back to watching the video, you were giving it some pretty explicit instructions. I mean, almost to the level of like what I remember from taking intermediate accounting one or two back in back in, uh, you know, university classes where it was okay, here, here's a snapshot or, or, you know, a subset of, of the P&L or, or a mock P&L, right? And it was, you know, just, just tell me what the gross margin is for this month, right? And it, it was, it, it felt like that sort of basic level exercise and teaching it how to do it, but then it would spit out the number. <clears throat> the only difference is it's not going to forget, right? Like once you've told it, this is how you calculate it. And this is where you're going to look for the data it's just going to know to do that regardless of, you know, you could come back to it 10 minutes later and ask it the same thing and it would still know it, right? Like it's never going to forget it. It's never going to pull the, pull different numbers just because it got confused, right? Like it's going, it should be reliable in that sense, right? Yeah, exactly. So the instructions on how to calculate that are non-variable. However, the data set that I fed it could be, could be variable. So if you think about the way that the scenario is set up, if you watch the video, um, the first module, which is the QuickBooks API call, it's a three-month P&L. But you could turn that date range into a variable. So today minus 90 days and just have it roll forward basically every day. And so the data set that you feed um, to GPT-3 is different every day. And you can use variables in that way to give it different data sets depending on you know what you're trying to pull and when you're trying to pull it and all that sort of stuff but what's not variable and what makes it replicable is the fact that you're giving it instructions that are not variable and a lot of what we do is fairly standardized and has and can have fairly standard instructions right like you know this is a debit this is a credit this is how you calculate gross margin this is how you calculate net margin all that sort of stuff so that's where it gets a little bit interesting where you can standardize analysis even though the data set that you're giving it is not structured. The way that, you know, I kind of relate it back to the experience that I had in a prior prior life, I worked at a very large bank. I was in charge of the financials for a particular line of business. And every single month I had to go through the P&L on the balance sheet. I had to extract all of the data out of SAP, had to put it in Excel format, I had to have month over month, and I had to create two new columns. One was the dollar, or three new columns. One was the dollar change, one was the percent change, and then one was a comments column. Then, given whatever our thresholds were for dollars and and percentage combined, I had to go into the GL, look at all of the transactions, and do an analysis and put in that specific comment column what was driving that variance. That took me a hell of a lot of time, and it was super annoying. However, great learning experience, super annoying. Now, when you think about what we're delivering to our our customers, you'd have to roughly do the same exact process inside of QBO, unless you're using some sort of an advanced tool, which you're probably going to pay a good bit of money for to do a variance analysis, right? Because one of the conversations that we have a lot, I don't know about you, but we give our customers a financials and we say, well, this is up month over month by this amount or this percentage or whatever. And then the next question inherently is why? And then we would have to do that sort of analysis to get to the why and hopefully pre-answer the questions that our customers are going to have. Theoretically, you could automate that entire analysis and get it spit back in 
probably what, less than two to three minutes, something like that. That is super high value. It's super standardized. It's super automated. And you don't need an entire like FP&A analyst on staff who's going to cost you a lot of money to do it. So yeah. that's cool, right? That's a that's a really good use case for automating something that's in the advisory realm that, um, you know, historically has been super manual. Yeah, and that's... So this is getting into what the possibilities are because this is pushing beyond what you actually had in the video, which is fine. But um, so in the in the in the video, right, you you sort of ended, you know, after you showed that, hey, this thing can calculate gross margins. And that's kind of where the actual, uh, you know, what you were trying to get make and the software to do ended. And at that point, you started getting into some some extensions of what can happen here. And so this is obviously one, right? So if and and you're absolutely right, I do the same thing. So when I send my customers their uh, monthly management report, either I'm looking through it as part of the review before I send that and saying, this particular expense line went up 20 or 30% from the last month, why, right? Or uh, revenue went down 20% from last month, why? And then the why is going into the GL, right? The general ledger and actually looking through those specific transactions. Oh, here's a transaction that we miscategorized, right? It was a deposit. It got categorized to something else, but it's actually revenue. Or, you know, here's an expenditure. It got miscategorized distribution. It's actually a deductible expense, those kinds of things, right? And so what you're saying, though, is, is there's a potential here that all that could be done. So instead of me taking 20, 30, 45 minutes, depending on the customer, right, me doing that, every month to very manually sort of, uh, you know, process doing that, that maybe chat GPT uh, or open AI, whichever one uh, could just do this in the background. Is that, is that true? Yep. That's, that's pretty wild. That is pretty wild. It's nuts. It's a, it's a great use case. It's natural language. It's advisory level service. It's something that's historically been super manual. And it's something that a machine could probably do better than a human. Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into the show. And we really hope you're enjoying it. If you like the show, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you really like the show, please leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. If you have a service or an app that is tailored to accountants and you want to get in front of several hundred accounts that listen to this show every single week, send us an email at host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. But then, you know, I'm thinking, okay, so when all of this, uh, you know, OpenAI chat GPT stuff started, I don't know, when I started really picking up on it several months ago, the and, and even before that, really, maybe, maybe six months to a year ago, I have heard... Uh, you know, because we're working with uh, marketing firms a lot and and content creators, that sort of stuff. And so there's this reaction of, well, if we if we have AI writing words built for and the the particular application here is SEO, right? You know, search engine optimization. So if we're having computers write words for computers doing SEO searches, then everything's just going to kind of regress to this level of it's just computers talking to computers. And at some point this isn't going to be helpful for actual real people, right? Because computers are going to talk to computers and it's, it's just going to turn into a bunch of you know mush on the internet that doesn't really help humans. If, 
I set up QuickBooks Online to where I have bankrolls coding transactions, but then I'm using OpenAI to go back and do what what you're telling me is basically a quality control, right? I can go back and and do some variance analysis and then use that variance analysis to look at the GL and find problematic transactions. But those problematic transactions are problematic because they were miscategorized by the bankroll that we set up. Is this is this actually going to be helpful? Are we are we completely working ourselves out of job here as, you know, accounting reviewers or do we still need a human touch? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I've got a lot of thoughts that are very scattered on that topic. Um, so to the, to, to the comment about just machines talking to machines, fair point. However, one thing is that there are already tools out there who can spot GPT-3, what do you want to call it? Plagiarism. So that's a thing, right? So that's a, that's another criticism of this that I've heard, right? Is that this sure. thing, you know, you can tell this thing to write you an essay, right? And so there's a concern among college instructors as far as are the essays that students are going to start turning in just written by GPT-3? And if so, where's GPT-3 getting the words? Well, it's getting it from essays that somebody else wrote, right? And And now we're using their work and passing it off as their own, but we don't really know because we thought GPT-3 wrote this essay for us. Sure. So that those tools already exist. So like philosophically, and this is my opinion, but human nature is, is human nature and is always going to want some sort of a human touch. And you're not going to change that in 20 minutes with an AI tool, right? So my opinion is that folks who suspect that a lot of what they're being fed and in this case we're talking about accounting data and in uh, you know advisory type services a lot of what they're being fed is just generated machine talk those folks are going to um you know flesh that out and they're going to put a premium on things that are more human i think that i i just don't think that that pendulum is going to swing the whole way to being totally automated or they'll just diy it right for the people who are, who are price conscious so there's that piece of it. Now, if you think about, you know, the concept of, well, everybody's content and everybody's analysis and blah, 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 is all going to be the same. Well, think about all of the, especially the tax specific newsletters that you can subscribe to and white label and send out to your customers. And we've been doing that for well over a decade, for sure. Like there are like every single tax season, there are a number of Twitter threads that you see out there. It's like, oh, this is the same post from this person and this person and this person. Same type deal. No different, right? We're just changing the venue and changing the form and the substance at this point. I think it was Lauren Wilson uh, several months ago that posted, a, it was a video of her screenshotting her scrolling through her Twitter feed. And it was just dozens of accountants and accounting firms, Twitter accounts that were posting the same exact image that was the same exact link to a blog post that they had all posted on all of their websites that you know is the exact same text and it's just kind of like we're just flooding the feed with all of this same generic information and nobody's really creating anything new at least not out of that that feed scroll that she was showing there same deal no different yeah okay so uh let, let's push a little bit further here. So this is variance analysis so far that we talked about, and therefore we can we can see if something seems off as far as the overall financial report, then maybe even 
dig down into the GL a little bit, maybe find an errant transaction here. What about actually interpreting the data, the report itself, right? Can, could could chat GPT tell me uh, things look good this month, right? Like like things are on the up and up or, you know, it looks like business is tanking or, you know, maybe if we compare this to what's going on in your industry or in the broader economy, it seems bad, but it's fine. Like what, as far as the thing, again, back to this natural language idea, right? These are the things we would tell our customers. This is our interpretation of what's going on, right? If I if I have a PL with a loss at the bottom and I show this to a customer, maybe I've got an explanation that says, look, you're doing fine, just keep pushing through, things will turn up, right? Can could Chat GPT do that? Could OpenAI do that? I think theoretically, but you are fairly quickly going to bump up against the limitations of chat GPT in that you can only feed it so much data and so many characters and it'll only spit back so much. And at some point it starts to get more expensive to use because it does have a cost. Um, so theoretically, yes, but as a practical matter, I think that that's, I think that that's still at some point in the future. I've heard that GPT four is maybe going to be a little bit, um, a little bit more liberal as far as what you can feed it and how much you can feed it. Um, but I think GPT-3 at the moment, probably not. Probably not. I think I think there are other tools for that too, by the way. Like I'll tell you that we built something internally that looks at all of our clients that are in the marketing or advertising industry. And we look at all of the transaction level detail and then we score transactions based on how unusual they are. So we're looking at the transaction amount, we're looking at the transaction date, we're looking at the GL account, and then basically we're going ahead and we're scoring those and we're saying, hey, these are unusual or they're not. And it's flagging the unusual transactions based on some sort of a percentage that it calculates. And then we look at those transactions. And like some building something like that, that does not require GPT-3, that is, I don't want to say it's easily accessible by just about everybody, but it's fairly accessible using all sorts of other platforms and no code machine learning that's out there. And that's been out there for actually a long, long time. I mean, I first started dabbling in no code machine learning in 2000, I think it was 16, something like that. It's been a minute. Um, so those exist and, and those are out there. So, you know, so part of the question or part of the, the answer is that you need to use the right tool for the job. If it's just going to be number specific and you're just looking for variance analysis and you're just looking to flag things, that that's probably a you know, machine learning thing. If you're trying to generate language and you're not trying to do a ton of it, then GBD3 is probably a good, um, a good tool to use or potentially a good tool to use. There's other limitations as well. And I mean, for me personally, I think that there's some data security concerns there as well. Yeah, and that's one of the... Um, it, it's something I want to touch on here in a little bit, but specifically to the character limit, this is something that, that I've run into. So for example, I've tried to take, uh, a, a podcast transcript, right? Like one of our transcripts and run it through, uh, chat GPT, right? Because you, you can, you can load this information into it, uh, and then ask it to do things with that information. Well, if it, even a relatively short, uh, you know, podcast 
conversation, uh, you're running into several tens of thousands of characters uh, and, and it will just immediately throw up an error message and say, sorry, I can't do this. And it, it seems like a 30 minute conversation, recorded conversation. Well, I could go back and watch that on one and a half or two X speed myself and put a, put together an outline, put together some show notes. And, you know, it might take me another 30 to 60 minutes if I really wanted, wanted to do a good job with that. Um, and so that seems like it would be right in the wheelhouse of this tool yet. It seems to choke on that, but, but purely just from like a character limitation uh, standpoint, I don't think it's that, what we're talking about is is too complex or for for the tool it's just it's too much it's too much data and they built it in a way i guess where they it, it you know they, they've almost put a limit on uh you know how much you can actually ask it to do to make it to where it stays accessible to everybody i know i've i know i've tried to get on it you know two three four o'clock in the afternoon eastern time and sometimes i can't even log in because it's it, it says it's so busy um yeah, yeah. kind of like Kind of like trying to call the IRS lately, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think it's really important to just reiterate at this point in the conversation, like ChatGPT, which is the chatbot that you can go log into and you're using it on a browser, and GPT-3 APIs, those are separate things and they're different. So the video that I did, those are the GPT-3 APIs. ChatGPT, something different, browser-based. So super important there. Gotcha. If you, if you just think about, and if you, I mean, you run into the, the character limitation giving chat GB, chat GBT a transcript. If you watch the video, I ran into a character limitation. I had to actually go increase the characters um, on the output that I got with the GPT-3 APIs. Like different problems, but same family. Yeah. And if you just kind of think about like all of the data that this thing has learned on and what it's been fed and how much it's got to come through and the fact that, you know, these APIs are being housed presumably, you know, in a server or server farm somewhere, and they're being accessed by probably millions of people around the world at the same time, or potentially millions of people around the world at the same time. It's very, very resource heavy. So you've got, you know, you've, you've got to put some sort of limitation on it, I would imagine. And then you've got resource limitations. And at some point you're going to have cost limitations and yada, 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 on and on. I'll out myself here as a Star Trek fan, um, particularly Star Trek <laughs> The Next Generation. And, you know, one of my favorite parts of, of that series was when they would just ask the computer a question and the computer would respond with an answer that that made sense. Right. Like it never the, the computer in Star Trek the next generation it never it never choked right it never it never said hey can you repeat that not like siri right or 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 alexa or any of these other you know lady in the can kind of uh you know options that we've got now where it's it's you know i'm sorry can you repeat that or i'm sorry i can't find that answer right now you know it it never happens right you you never get that response from the from the starship enterprises computer of like that and you know i i i think we're that if this can be put out there in such a way to where these character limits are no longer an option um, are no longer an issue. Right. And, and the, the issue of getting the data into a readable language, both for 
the computer, the API, and for the person that's feeding it into it and trying to get some analysis back out. If we can get over those couple issues, um, then I don't know. May, maybe not that the computer, you know, is, is just built into the starship and talking to us, but maybe uh, if you've got a monitor there and you and a keyboard, maybe you can start getting some serious answers without all of the hiccups of the the services that we're dealing with today. Yeah, I think maybe that makes the case for why accountants should pay attention to developments in quantum computing because potentially that will solve that issue and that that seems like a whole other topic uh that yeah. that we would need to save for a whole other episode okay so i, I want to do uh a little bit of uh a, a little bit of an experiment here maybe so uh, before right before we jumped on here i actually asked uh, chat GPT, which you can go to at chat.openai.com. Uh, that's, that's the one I'm using. I think there are a few others, uh, of these, but I think this is the one that everybody is using right now. So it, it's chat.openai.com. And I asked it list 10 questions to ask an accountant about using chat GPT to help analyze financial data and better advise clients. All right. So mm-hmm. I asked it that, and it actually gave me 10, uh, questions. A couple of them are, are fairly, uh, you know, either academic or basic, uh, but I picked five that I really like. And I think these are five interesting sort of discussion questions. And, and by the way, let me just say that I've been using chat GPT a little bit over the last few weeks, uh, mainly as a way to sort of get prompts. Uh, and so one of my favorite things to do with it is just say, Hey, list a bunch of questions that so-and-so would ask so-and-so. Uh, because one of the tools that I use for coming up with content is a, a from a book called They Ask You Answer by Marcus Sheridan, uh, which the premise of that book is answer the questions that your potential and actual customers are asking, right? Because that they're asking on the internet. And so if you can give them the answer, then the internet will lead them your way, right? Yeah. And so I'm constantly thinking about, you know, what are some of the questions that are being asked? How can How can we... Uh, answer those questions in ways that make sense to those kinds of people. Uh, and so this is one of my favorite things to do with ChatGPT so far. So I've got these 10 <laughs> questions. I narrowed it down to five. So let's let's run through these as sort of, you know, just, just open prompts for discussion here. So first of all, can ChatGPT accurately handle complex financial data such as multiple streams of income or for, foreign currency transactions? Now, I haven't tried to do it get it to do this. I don't think you tried to get it to do this in your video, but just based on the interaction so far, what do you think? Do you think, do you think chat GPT would be able to handle multiple streams of income or foreign currency transactions or some of these more complex financial data? Let's take that in component parts. So the, the multi-currency transactions, my sense is no, because it was fed the internet at a point in time and to do that and do that well, even though I haven't done it in quite some time. Um, so I may be speaking out of turn here, but to do it and do it well, you need to have um, like up to date trend, yeah. like, like currency exchange rates. Right. Yeah. And so that gets back right. to one of the limitations I think we discussed earlier is, you know, on, on what date was all this information, you know, fed into it and does it have the ability to update that information on its own. And I don't think that's true yet. I think it's like as of a date. Yeah. Go ahead. But if we go back to what I was saying a little while ago about feeding it variables, 
then right. you know let's just say you had a, like for argument's sake you had a make scenario that went and it scraped uh, tra- uh fx uh what am i looking for <laughs> Why like, like currency uh, exchange exchange rates, rates. Or, yeah goodness yeah. gracious <laughs> yeah so it goes and ex- it, it scrapes exchange rates and then you feed it the exchange rate and then you say do something you know with this exchange rate in this dollar uh amount so maybe if you it. connected it to an up-to-date yeah. source of exchange rate data it could pull it, from that and then do that for you but but just right. natively on its own it, it might not be able to do that okay and so in in the actual use case that you had in the video you're given you know given the kinds of issues that you ran into and how you had to refine the questions and the prompts and the way you were feeding the data into it how how granular into the reports because if we're talking about it searching through the gl for a specific transaction that might be causing a variance right that's pretty granular stuff but like how granular in terms of a report could it get could it could it break down a company that has five or six different revenue streams could it break down an expense line such as advertising and marketing that might be broken down into the different platforms that they were buying ads on and all this kind of stuff like would it just know to break all that down or would you have to specifically hard code it to say i want you to look at this line that's this sub sub account of whatever line on the pnl these kinds of things yeah that's a good question. I think if you wanted to break it down, like if you if you wanted to give you suggested um, categories or classes or lines of business or however you want to, you know, couch that, then you would say you would say, hey, here are you know a number of revenue transactions. Tell me what makes sense as far as grouping these together in in a in you know three or four categories that make sense or five or six categories that make sense or, or, or something okay now like. that's that's interesting like could this thing manage the chart of accounts for you right because the the bank rules are kind of written from the other perspective right like we know the chart of accounts we know how the vendors should map to the chart of accounts and therefore the bank rule says if a transaction comes from this vendor map it to this category but could this thing do the other way around could it read through a list of transactions where there are some overlap in the vendors that kind of thing and say just just make up a chart of accounts that makes sense for these transact for a business with these transactions i don't see why not um i think it was chad davis who did a a twitter thread where he was feeding it like transactions from the bank feed you know their descriptions from the bank feed and it was helping to um kind of suss out what those were what those vendors might be pretty sure it was chad so if that's possible then yeah i think that was i know he had one where he was trying to get it to clean up a like a credit card yeah. bank statement that kind of thing so so right. yeah credit card statement that kind of stuff so yeah i mean there is a little bit of like it can it can dig into these data a little bit Sure. You just have to feed a transaction level data. And so yeah. if you think about what Chad was able to do, then extrapolate that out to what you're talking about. I think that that's probably yeah. doable. Interesting. Um, yeah. I think it's, it, it would depend on what, how much instruction and how specific the instruction had to be that you gave it, but probably doable yeah. in some way, shape or form. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned this a little bit before. Uh, so how does, and again, this might be too behind the scenes that you know, I don't know, 
I, I wouldn't even know how to begin to do this other than actually have somebody involved in the project on the show. But how does ChatGPT handle data privacy and security when analyzing financial information? And I added to that. that that's what ChatGPT came up with. I added to this. Could you trust it with a tax return? Right? Absolutely. Like, could you just take all the data from a tax return, feed it into it and say, give me give me three tax strategies to apply to this to bring their tax bill down? Absolutely not. And I'll, I'll absolutely not. And I'll tell you why. Um, the tax return contains a lot of sensitive data. If you notice in the video, I used a demo account. I did not use an actual client account. I I'm not 100% on how GPT-3 and the APIs store the data or not. Presumably, if the algorithm is continuing to learn on what it is being fed, then the data is getting stored somewhere, somehow, some way, which makes it vulnerable. And if you're passing client data to it and you're not entirely sure where it is going, then that is most definitely an aggressive strategy on your part as an accountant who has to maintain client data. So like put that in, like that's fine, whatever, put that in the parking lot. Now, if you go onto the ChatGPT website and if you go and you find the FAQs, what it says is, am I able to delete my data? And the answer is, yeah, you can go and click this link and you can delete your data. Okay, fine, cool, whatever. But that means that your data is being stored somewhere for at least some period of time. And if you are shipping your client's data somewhere and you're not entirely sure where it is or where it's going, then again, that is a super aggressive strategy. So my personal opinion, this is only my opinion, is that all of these tools are super cool if you're going to feed them non-specific transaction data or financial data or whatever where you can't determine in any way shape or form it's a customer's data and you can use them to kind of play around with and find interesting use cases and things like that any sensitive data i absolutely positively 100 percent would not send it through any of these processes even though it could be in theory super helpful and you could build all sorts of cool things on top of this i think that the data risk is way way too high way too high yeah yeah, I would agree with that. I think until, probably until we can get this thing set up, even even then, right? Like the whole idea is you're plugging into the general internet. So even if you had like some browser-based version of this, you would still want to update it, right? With new information from the internet. Well, as soon as you do that, you've opened it up to the internet and now you, you know, you potentially made it, uh, vulnerable. Okay. Uh, so this is the third, uh, of the, of the 10 questions and I only chose five of them, but can chat GPT be used to generate reports or other visualizations of financial data? Now I found this really interesting because so far I've only engaged with chat GPT as strictly a text tool. And I know that there are some other AI image processors and image generators out there. In fact, uh, you know, some of the accounts we've seen are either posting images that they've created, or I've even seen uh, some. So, so for example, uh, uh, someone that uh, you and I both uh, have, have talked about and, and, you know, we, we've uh, read his work, Blair Ends, uh, he recently changed his Twitter avatar to one of these AI-generated uh, images. But uh, I found it really interesting that ChatGPT itself, in its own question that it wrote, included other visualizations. Um, but anyway, so the question here is, can ChatGPT be used to generate reports or other visualizations of financial data? Yeah, good question. So I think the appropriate way to answer this question is to ask ChatGPT if it can visualize data. So 
I just asked it while you were actually answering or asking that question. I said, are you able to generate charts if I provide you with data? And the response I got back was, and it's actually a long response. I'm just going to read the first paragraph. Yes, I can help you generate charts from data using various tools. For example, you could use a spreadsheet program like Microsoft Excel, Google Sheets, or Libra Office, Office Calc, which I've never even heard of, to, to create charts. You could use programming languages like Python or R to create charts using libraries like Matplotlib or ggplot2. So, short answer no, long answer yes. And this is actually one of the more interesting use cases that I've used ChatGPT for, which is to... Um, help me write DAX formulas, uh, which is the scripting language inside of Power BI in order to do data analysis. Now, if you're going to use something like Python or R, you could say, hey, here is the data. Can you give me back a Python script, which will generate this kind of chart to this scale, that sort of thing, or tell, or you could probably even ask like, what would be the appropriate chart to visualize this type of data if I'm trying to answer this type of question? You could probably do that and it, you would probably get a pretty cool um, response back. I've found that one of the most useful things that it can do is actually write code, which is yeah. super which powerful. Is, which is really interesting because like I might have some code, but I need it in a different language. And the only way I know to ask that is to say, hey, can you translate this, this into a different language for me? And before all of this, I would have had to like search for somebody who knows both of those languages, the same way you would need to find someone to interpret, you know, two different people who are fluent in different languages and don't know each other's language. You would have to go find a third person, right. To, to stand between them and interpret that back and forth for each one. But, but this could become that, right? Like this could become a universal interpreter for all of these different computer languages we have. You mentioned a few. I had to learn uh, a couple of different stats programs when I was in my grad school program back in my previous life. And they they did not talk to each other, right? So if you had a data set that was in the proprietary format of one of these programs, you could not get it into the other one. So you had to find somebody that had that program so that they could print all of those data into a CSV file, which if you were using relatively big enough, you know, it, database and this was back in the mid 2000s that might not fit on uh you know one of these uh little usb you know drives or you might not be able to attach it to an email to yourself or something like that and so you had some serious data you know translation and then portability issues that you might run into but this could provide you know that sort of uh you know cloud-based and then without needing somebody else, without needing to install any software, interpreter of different computer languages for you. 100%. Here's an interesting use case that I've actually used it for, and I'll just take two seconds. In Make, you, there is the option to add in Python code. So it, through one sas.co. So one, the number one, SAAS.co. It's fairly inexpensive. You can create a module that runs Python code. So ChatGPT is really, really good for for putting together simple code for you. And so if there's something like a really good use case is if I have all this QuickBooks data, which is in this JSON format, which is a hot mess, which running that through different modules that are built inside of Make is also a hot mess. If I could just replace that whole thing with one, one SAS, module that has a simple python piece of code that will take that json data and then turn it into something meaningful way easier now you know six months ago in order to do that and i did it 
you had to go like hire a developer to write that Python code and play around with it. And it wasn't terribly expensive, but you know, not zero. And, you know, took, you know, a day or two, whereas right now you can do it in five minutes with chat GPT. Right. So yeah. it, it makes coding available to people who otherwise have not ever written a single line of code. And I was about to say, you know, we talk about no code or low code tools where it's basically it's a UI, right? Make Zapier. These are all UIs that are actually doing code stuff. They're doing API stuff, but they but yep. it's just a UI. This is actually almost, you know, the UI is the text, right? The UI is the data that you're loading into it and then asking a question in a very human way, right? It Read this data in this file format and give it to me in this other file format, right? And maybe it could actually do that, right? As long as long as it knew both of those file formats, which it should, this thing is plugged into the whole internet, right? So yep. um, yeah, interesting. Okay, all right, two more here. Uh, one, and, and uh, you briefly touched on this, but can ChatGPT provide real-time analysis of financial data or is it only able to analyze data on a periodic basis? And again, this is a question that ChatGPT is asking about itself. Yeah. I mean, if you fed it real-time analysis and you were making continuous API calls, then yeah, it, but it's only going to analyze data in the frequency that you provide it. So, you know, that could get expensive and get, that could get unwieldy. And at some point you're not going to have any benefit to it. Right. I mean, right. real-time isn't, isn't always all that beneficial in the world that, that we play in. Which, which is, so. is similar. This is a question that, that I get asked, right? Because, you know, I have some customers that I'll send them the monthly managerial report and they'll get a wild hair and say, hey, I'd like to see this weekly. And then I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure you need a weekly P&L and a weekly balance sheet and a weekly cash flow statement because you've got like 20 or 30 transactions a month? I don't think, you know, you need that level of updating. And so if, if you were doing, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't run... Uh, like a day traders business off a of chat GPT, right? Because then you'd be pulling you know, milliseconds, uh, uh, you know, frequencies uh, data, but, you know, maybe something on a, on a monthly, uh, maybe weekly, I don't know. Weekly seems like a stretch right, right now, but maybe in a few months, um, maybe if there's a, if there's a paid version, that's a reasonable price. I don't know. I don't know, but monthly seems to be like the sweet spot for it, right? Because, which again, this is why we send monthly reports to our customers because it's a sweet spot that's a balance between uh, you're getting you're getting updates frequently enough to actually be able to adjust your decision making, but at the same time, it doesn't become prohibitive to do the analysis. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the underlying problem is that you're going to have to do the accounting on a weekly basis or daily basis or whatever, and that theoretically is not going to be free. It's going to be more expensive. And right. so does the customer really need that? You know, it's it's yeah. the same problem that we have now. And then th this really gets at the heart of it. I, I think that, and again, this is ChatGPT asking this question. Can ChatGPT provide recommendations or suggestions for financial decision-making based on the data it analyzes? I think so. So if I if I fed it this, you know, if I if I went back through your video and I set up this make to where this make uh, uh, scenario to where it would read the last three months of the P&L every let's say it, it updates once a month every month. And I, I could then pose questions to it of like, should you know what 
G- give me an expense to, you know, if, if profitability, you know, if my net profit margin dips below a certain percentage, recommend an expense to cut or, you know, recommend an employee to fire or something, you know what I mean? Like how, how far would you push this thing to it? Like, is, is this going to replace fractional CFOs? I don't think so. I don't think you, I don't think you can replace a fractional CFO for the reasons that I talked about a little while ago, which is the human touch is important understanding context and a lot of it like machines have not replaced that yet like yeah could i feed it you know this is a it's an interesting question because i got this question from a client literally yesterday like who should i lay off okay well we can go and we can look at what the actual cash flow um, situation is what it's projected to be we can look at utilization data because it's a professional services firm and see like you know who is not being utilized and who doesn't have enough work and we can look at what the org chart looks like and is there any redundancy so if we lose this person is you know can that work theoretically be picked up by another person in the organization like all that sort of stuff yeah we can do that but the con there's an unlimited amount of context behind that like is that employee really really valued by the people who run the organization did we have a huge investment in training that person is their skill set really the same as the other person who would pick up their work um, do they have a higher ceiling? Are they a better culture fit? There's the, the amount of questions is absolutely limitless. And, you know, to some extent, our purpose as a fractional CFO is to ask questions, understand context, and really be a little bit more of a coach as opposed to just providing the answers. And if we totally automate that, like just providing answers and just providing direction in a what's going to be a fairly cold, non-human way it's probably not going to be received as well it's going to be missing a whole lot of context which is going to be important to the advice that we give or the machine gives or whatever and it's ultimately not going to be as effective my opinion what do you think yeah so so what i'm hearing then is that maybe the, the same way i asked it hey give me a list of 10 questions to ask an accountant right maybe we could say go go read this you know manager's report for the last month or ho- hopefully when this thing expands to the point maybe we could give it a, a a quarter or you know six months worth of uh financial reports and say give me three suggestions to to improve the net profit margin right and then now we fall back the, the same way we have uh you know we had jackie meyer on who uh founded tax plan iq and the way her software reads through uh, a customer's, you know, tax returns and their, uh, you know, their personal uh, and financial information, and it spits out. Okay, well, here are some relevant tax strategies that would fit this fact pattern, right? This customer's fact pattern. Maybe the same in a similar sort of vein, we could say, reading through this last quarter's manager's report with the P&L, the, the balance sheet, the cash flow statement, maybe some vendor reports, something like that. You know, give me half a dozen recommendations for improving that profit margin or improving cash flow or something like that. And then, but now it's still on us as a human to say, okay, well, of these five recommendations, two of them are just completely out of line. I can see where the data would say they make sense, but we're not going to lay the VP of sales off because he's one of the founders, but the computer didn't know that. Right. Well, maybe I'm just kind of spitballing here, but maybe the tool can help us as advisors ask better questions. So instead of asking the tool, Hey, what are the five vendors or the couple of uh, GL categories where we should think about cutting expense and tell me where I should cut. Maybe the question to the tool is, Hey, 
what, based on this data, what are some of the questions that I should ask the business owner as I'm coaching them to make business decisions around what expense I'm going to cut or what employee I'm going to cut or, or something like that. So it helps us to frame our questions a little bit better or think about different questions that maybe we're not thinking about and then ask those to the customer as we kind of coach them and guide them as opposed to just giving them, you know, just instruction. Right. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Again, back to, you know, what I was saying is like, I'm, I'm using this tool as a way to help me think about the questions that my prospects and customers might be asking. Right. You know, it based on uh, what I'm hoping is it's read of the Internet uh, of what's being searched for that's relevant to you know how I'm helping my existing customers. And so if I can get it to give me a list of questions that they might be asking, then I can use that to better, you know, create better content or, you know, prepare for an upcoming meeting with a client, something like that. So I think that's a, that's a good point. So using this as a way of thinking about structuring and, and contributing to the conversation rather than actually trusting it to make decisions for you. Yep. Can I give you one more use case? Go for that, it. That I really like. Okay. We yeah. talked about content creation. One of the issues that we have with content creation is we run it through our SEO tool and we use WordPress for the website and we've got this Yoast SEO tool where it kind of like scores the blog post that we do and stuff like that. And it'll tell us like our flesh reading score. So how easy is this post to read? And you want it to be like something like a sixth grade level or below. So it's easily digestible. And we struggle with that because a lot of times we're writing things that are fairly technical or just too technical and it, I got to where I started optimized. ignoring that because it felt like as soon as I put like I, I I can't not talk about these things. That's what they're asking about, right? But as soon sure. as you slip that term into the blog post, all of a sudden it goes from like fifth grade to eleventh grade, and what's the right. point, right? <laughs> so what if you feed it that eleventh grade blog post and you tell it, "Hey, can you make adjustments to this in the voice that it's currently in? So it's keeping your voice, it's keeping your content, but turn it from eleventh grade into sixth grade." I like that use case a lot because it makes it more readable and more digestible for the average human who is not a technical accountant. There you go. So, hey, if you're listening and you either are or know someone who works for Yoast or WordPress or is a WordPress app developer, plugin developer, then uh, there's an idea for you how to use ChatGPT3 to improve uh, SEO scoring and, and make... Uh, fitting within those Yoast criteria a little bit easier for, for WordPress users. That's that's a really interesting use case. I like that. Can I, get, can I give you one more? You can go, yeah, hey, you know, it, it, it's your dime here. Okay. Uh, if you take code, that is that, you know, Python code, R code, I don't know, VBA, whatever, it doesn't matter. And if you don't know what it means or what it is doing, feed it in the, in the GPT or chat GPT and say, hey, can you comment this code for me and then tell me what it does? So it'll take the code, it'll add comments into the code, which are not pieces of script that'll run, it won't do anything differently. And then it'll explain to you exactly what it's doing. Because ultimately that code is in English. And so theoretically we should be able to understand it, but it's not like the spoken language, it's not natural language. So what you're doing is you're taking machine language, turning it into natural language, something that we can process. It, I found it makes it easier to understand what is going on. If you're trying to do something that involves code or a little bit of code, or you can even do that with um, uh, Excel formulas, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. When I was in grad school, uh, and, and like I said earlier in the episode, having to do statistical analysis and some of these uh, stats packages, one of the things that a lot of journals, uh, academic journals, so where you would try to publish this research, one of the things they started doing around the time I was in academia was requiring authors who did these statistical analysis in the papers that they were publishing would be to provide not just the data set that they used, but also the uh, a copy of the the instructions that they gave uh, the the stats program to produce the output because you can have the data set, but if you don't know what they actually did to manipulate the data set, what kinds of analyses they did on the data set, you don't know how they actually got to the results that they put in the paper. So they started requiring the uh, the instructions, which we call do files, because you're literally telling the stats program what to do, um, and and it ended in dot do dot do. That was the that was the file extension for these files. Um, but the 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 uh, variability in the quality of these do files was ridiculous. Sometimes you would have, you know, five lines of code that just really didn't mean anything. And sometimes you would have thousands of lines of code that would, you know, have a separate line for every individual manipulation of the data for every individual table and chart and graph that showed up in the paper. And so you could kind of tell exactly um, what was what. And those those sort of blocked off comments that said, okay, this is the table that you see on page 45, right? Or, you know, this is the this is the chart uh, that comes in section three, right? Um, that that kind of level of commenting was really helpful. And then what you're saying is pushing even further, like, I don't know what this line of code does. It's in the it's in the, the really difficult to tell sort of text of, uh, you know, that do file. And so I don't know what this regression command is, or I don't know what this draw a table command is. Uh, and so that comment would really be helpful. I, I, I like that. I love that. And then, like you said, with spreadsheets, even, I don't know what this formula is. I don't know what this formula does help, you know, write a comment that actually explains what it is, what it does, where I can find it in the paper or in the report. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, even things, uh, even, you know, really sort of niche things, like I'm thinking auditors reports, right. With, with all of the footnotes and all of the declarations and, and all of those sorts of things, right. Maybe some of that, uh, gets broken down and explained in layman's terms. So you could, you could feed it, uh, you know, quarterly or annual report to the SEC and say, you know, just just tell me, like, would you recommend buying stock in this company based on this, you know, yeah. annual SEC report or not? You know, and, and maybe it goes through and instead of just scanning over the, the P&L and balance sheet, it actually reads through all the footnotes and says, oh, well, based on footnote seven, I would run far away from this company. I don't know. I, I think there's lots of possibilities here. I think some of them might be just kind of silly, but I think a lot of them have some some real legs behind them. Yeah, for sure. So we we have beat this thing up today. So yes. what are our key takeaways? Well, for me, I think, you know, right now, obviously, it's still very much in the beta uh, stage and we just need to be uh, experimenting with it. And we need more people doing what you did, which was feeding it some, uh, you know, anonymized data or some made up data and just 
start telling it to do things, not, not weird things, but things that you would ask, you know, quick things that you want QuickBooks to tell you that it just doesn't yet. Right. Or things that your customers want to know that it takes you half a day to go dig through the data and find out, to be able to tell them it's that, you know, spend, spend 30 minutes, create a, a, you know, make scenario and see if, see if this thing will tell you that instead, you know, maybe, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know, but, but we got to try it. We just got to try it and then, and then publish that, you know, show other, show the rest of us that you're working on this and give us uh, some ideas for how we can push it even harder as well. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, for me, uh, the use cases that are ready for prime time are limited and they're definitely limited to data that is not sensitive and data that is not customer centric. And I think playing with it and understanding the possibilities is a really good exercise because you will understand where AI is going and where it can go and how you can apply it to your world. So yeah. those would be my key takeaways, but be really, really careful about the data security for sure. Yeah. Watch the, be, be wary of the data security issues, but don't be afraid of the technology itself. Don't, don't come yeah. at it from this thing is trying to replace you because I think it's pretty clear it won't not, not now and probably not ever. Um, but at the same time, it, it's got the potential to make you a better advisor. It's got the potential to make you more helpful to your customers. So take advantage of it. You know, the same way that switching from spreadsheets to GL software makes you a better advisor, maybe you know, switching from manual analysis that takes you half a day to trying to use something like this to to automate that or speed it up a little bit. Maybe that makes you a better advisor as well. 100%. Jeremy, thanks for hanging out today. Thanks for chatting, chatting us up. This has been another episode of the CPA Advisory Show. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA Advisory Show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at CPA Advisory Show.com. Thanks again. 